Welcome to the Values Exchange Podcast. I'm Mike Cruz, your host, private pilot, author of Saturday Every Day, and CEO of North Texas Wealth Management, a firm dedicated to values-based financial planning. This podcast uncovers the values and habits of highly successful people and dives into how it has shaped their success and what you can learn from their personal stories. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Values Exchange Podcast. Today, our guest is the Managing Director of Client Success at LPL Financial, um, which is a Fortune 500 company. Uh, Matt and Yeti is here with us. Great financial background and journey kind of to the top of the organization. He didn't start at the top. Uh, he worked his way up and has a unique story to share. He's here with us from San Diego. Matt, thanks for joining me. Hey, Mike. It's my pleasure. How are you? Hey, doing good. I heard so, it's a nice, cool day in Dallas today. Yeah, it's always always hot in Dallas this time of year. Uh, nice. You know, missing that San Diego weather for sure. We'll have you back anytime. Yeah. So, so Matt, thanks for thanks for joining me. And and the reason I want to have you on, I think you have a unique story to share. Of course, you know, I wanted to kind of just talk about that journey and how did you get started in financial services uh, to begin with. Yeah. No. And thanks, Mike. And 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 hopefully this doesn't put people to sleep, but. You know, I started in this industry right out of college, first working with a boutique financial management firm. But um, as I was kind of going through it, what really got me excited about this industry was actually my mom, who was a lifelong school teacher, was working for a startup technology company in the late 90s. And like so many companies that had .com at the back end of their of their title, um, the company went public and had an astronomical rise in market value. And she didn't know what to do. She uh, was a founder of the company, but like I said, was a school teacher by trade. And as I started digging into trying to help her, um, I fell in love with the markets. I fell in love with this business. And I, I was pretty confident that that's where I wanted to be. And so I actually started out um, in a rookie training class with an old company called Payne Weber that some folks might remember was later bought out by UBS um, as a rookie financial advisor. And did that for the next five years, from 99 to 2003, um, and learned a ton. Uh, but it was a hard go for someone who's just getting into the business at that time. And, and as much as I love the business- That was business, a tough part of the year. Yeah, tough part uh, in the market. Right? Like 99, you couldn't <laughs> be wrong. And then from 2000 to 2003, you couldn't be right. Sure. Um, and I experienced a great deal of not being right. Uh, and this is where I- always give Mike, you guys so much credit. Honestly, why I love working with financial advisors to this day is having someone's livelihood in your hands every single day is a tremendous and humbling honor, but certainly challenging as well. And having gone through those three years I, I, with candor, I'm not sure I was up to that challenge because I was really struggling and making sure my clients were well taken care of. And so that was really the pivot when I joined LPL in 2003 was I knew I wanted to be in this business and I knew I wanted to help. What I didn't realize is my career in my next 20 years would be about helping financial advisors better serve their clients and not that direct to client uh, conversation. Right, right. So, so tell me about the leap. How did you make the leap to LPL Financial? What was your kind of starting role? And then we'll kind of talk about, you know, how that led to where you are. But how'd you, how'd you get to LPL Financial? Yeah, you know, when I left UBS, um, one thing that they taught us well um, was 
a better way to practice financial advice was through a consultative advisory relationship, making sure that you and your clients were on the same side of the table. And I really enjoyed that from the traditional brokerage of having someone pay for a transaction that may or may not benefit them. And so when I went to LPL, that's what LPL was really moving towards, this more advisory, financial planning-based um, approach to working with financial advisors and, and consumers. And they needed someone who could help teach that, that process to advisors. And that's something I had been doing for a few years. And that was my first role at LPL. Um, and as luck would have it, Right when I came on board, there was an opportunity to go out in the field and work with our advisors and, and, and kind of really bring that to life. And for the next several years, I did just that, going door to door, city to city, town to town. In 2005, I did 250,000 domestic air miles meeting with LPL financial advisors. And the reality was, as much as I was teaching about fee-based advice or financial planning-based practices, I was learning a lot more about what the independent space looked like, about what the best advisor practices uh, did to be successful and how they serve their clients better than anybody else. So while I certainly, I hopefully uh, delivered a little bit of value to our clients along the way, I learned so much from advisors like you, Mike, along the way as well. Yeah, that, I think I think that's amazing that you, you know, it's it's the work ethic, right? You, you put in the work and, and you learned and then you got to apply it. So what about that journey to the to the top? How did you make it to to managing director? What were these milestones along the way? And I guess what advice would you have to say to somebody that is, you know, maybe new to LPL and has aspirations of like, hey, I want to be on the on the C-suite one day. How do you get there? Like, obviously, it takes yeah. hard work. But what are those other intangibles? Yeah, no, I, look, I don't know that it was the intention from day one to get there, right? It was just work hard, do your job and, and try to solve problems for people. But, you know, there's a couple of things, you know, over my, I've now 20 years at LPL. And over that time, I think I've had 15 or 16 different bosses. Um, and I've worked in five to seven different departments and, and worked across the lines with a lot of different people and a lot of different clients. I, I would tell you a couple of the things that really stood out for me when I look back and I talk to younger folks who are kind of beginning their journey. I think the first one is there's this, this belief that you always have to go up for your next move. Hey, I'm an assistant vice president and I need to go be a vice president. Or, you know, I've got this role and I need to go to a more senior role. That's, that's the natural progression. I've actually found a couple of my very best moves were lateral. Um, and I think a lot of folks underestimate the value of expanding your knowledge base and your capability set and going a little bit sideways before you go up. I think we sometimes get caught up in, hey, I've been doing this for a while, or the guy or gal next to me is moving up faster than I am. How do I catch up? And I think a better perspective is how do I create more value? And how do I expand my own capabilities and skill sets along the way? So my first big move at LPL um, was a lateral move. I moved from being a assistant vice president in our advisory relationships uh, organization to an assistant vice president in our strategy organization. Completely different. No travel, uh, very little true customer facing uh, kind of daily grind and really working on what the next steps for the firm were. And that took kind of some street smarts and some execution orientation and, and forced me to pivot into thinking about what was next for the firm. And not only did it lead me to kind of exercising a different part of my brain and growing a set of my capabilities, 
It also put me in a space for a next big opportunity because the first strategy I worked on at LPL was rolling out uh, or going into leading um, a, a program to build an RIA custody capability. And it was super fun to work on that strategy and learn tons about the RIA business, but ultimately ended up being the first hire into that business. And that set the next trajectory of my career off where I ultimately um, went from VP to SVP to ultimately EVP um, leading our custody business. So it isn't always a march forward. It's continuing to expand your capabilities and solving problems that I think helps you rise to that ultimate space you want to go. Yeah, I love that. I think, like we said, it's it's really about making sure that how do you how are you more valuable, right? How do you contribute more, add more to the company and your teams? Um, talk to me about that leadership. I think you know, as a financial advisor, I would say that I was very organized and very structured with clients. And then all of a sudden, I found myself really you know responsible for you know hiring and and managing and more and more responsibility. And one of the things I struggled with was just organization. It was like yeah. I have emails and I have all these different kind of avenues, and you know I was very organized for the clients. But how do I organize for all this other stuff? So I had to kind of sit down and go, you know, how do I get organized and how do I stay on top of everything? Did you find that throughout this, like when you started managing others and managing teams and projects? What were some of those like just milestones or, or challenges that you faced? Yeah, no, look, it, it's it's a totally different world when you're going from one space. And I, I think about it kind of going from individual contributor to line manager to ultimately general manager. And each requires something different from mm -hmm. you. But like you said, organization, structure, frameworks, I, that's not naturally who I am. I, I am a much more kind of, um, I like to kind of, use instinct, use experience, and, and use my gut to move things forward. But when you have to create scale and you need to create repeatable processes that are sustainable, that just doesn't work. It, it's a nice attribute to have, but it can't be the core of what you do. So I had to retrain my mind was I went from a individual contributor who could kind of grind their way through to the solution to a line manager where you still, while you had people underneath you, your responsibility was still to get to a, a more uh, tactical outcome, to general manager, where a, a couple of things, I had a, a leader once tell me, Matt, you need to do less and lead more. Um, and in order to take that leadership on, I needed to create a structure that would support me in doing so. In fact, Mike, we were just at uh, LPL's Focus Conference and we had this great speaker, Eric Wall, who's this creative artist who paints with his hands and his feet and he, he moves really quickly and, and creates these great, great designs and it looks like he's got chaos. But what he said, what I thought was very interesting, what he said was, um, you need to have structure to be able to be truly creative. You need to have an understanding of what your day looks like and the things that you're going to do to create the space and the bandwidth you need to have the creativity necessary to drive the firm forward. So I think a lot of us, and I'm guessing you're the same, I'd love to hear your thoughts, but if you kind of start with a more creative, innovative mindset, sometimes you think that gives you the freedom to kind of do whatever you want. And I would argue if you really want to hone that skill um, and create scale as well as um, innovation, you've got to put frameworks, really tight frameworks around how you run your day, around how you run your business and around how you build that business around you. Mike, what about you? Um, yep. you're, you're a creative guy. You've run it and built a beautiful business that's continuing to grow. How do you manage against those two? Yeah, no, I think I think it's a great question. And I think, you know, for me, I think there's just a couple of things that 
that I built as a habit that have really helped me. And, and one is, I always think that if I don't do anything else today, what's the most important thing I do, right? And yeah. so it's starting with the priorities and then making a list, but then prioritizing and then taking that and putting it on a calendar, right? So that it's not just a list, it actually gets accomplished and it's an order of priority. And I used to do that with, um, you know, even just stacks when we had lots of files, right? Now everything's paperless and it was, but it was literally just putting my stacks in order, right? It was always start at the top. Yeah. And I think the second part is to start with probably the, maybe the thing that's most important, but also the one that you dread the most, right? So if it's like, hey, you're gonna study, well, start with a subject that is not your favorite and get that out of the way and it creates more space and more momentum to get more done. And so, you know, I've tried to instill that in my kids. You know, it's like, do the thing that's hardest, do the thing you don't wanna do the most, and then always start with really the most important. And just making a quick list of like, tomorrow, you know, my list is these three things, right? Or, and I just start with the first one. If I don't do anything else today, I might get really distracted with everything else, but I can't leave the office until I get yeah. this done. I think just to keep those balls always up in the air and moving forward um, and just kind of that balancing act, right? I, I couldn't agree more. The hard work first. It's actually a cool thing I, I saw too. It's, it's by the, uh, uh, the founder and, or sorry, CEO of Intuit, the way he runs his structured day which I thought was brilliant, which is he actually sets a goal at the beginning of the year of where he wants to spend his time. 30% um, on strategy, 30% on talent development, 30% on operations, and 10% on career development, um, as an example. And then he color codes um, each one of those areas, and then he looks at his calendar, and every meeting that he does, he applies a color coding applied to one of those four things, and then every month, he and his team look back and say, hey, you had a goal of 30, 30, 30, 10, you really spent your time 10, 40, yeah. 20, 20. And yeah. is that right? Do you actually wanna change your goals or do you need to better align your calendar and your day to the things that you've determined are most important? I thought that was a brilliant way and a really structured way to make sure you're executing on the things that you have prioritized as the most important things to do. No, absolutely, yeah, because let's face it, life is chaotic and hectic and things become urgent or there's fires to put out and it's much i don't know maybe more rewarding to jump in and try to save the day and be that guy than it is to say no i'm going to do the hard work i'm going to be proactive and and you know sit here and figure out our long-term strategy you know it's yeah. you know, it's a little harder to prioritize those things we see this a lot look especially coming yeah. out of covid when things were really moving rapidly and there were fires to put out every single day you almost like sometimes chaos can be a little bit um, comforting because you don't have to think, you don't have to plan. Yeah. You just got to be on your toes and you got to solve, 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 solve. Um, and that can actually be a trap because if all you're doing is solving for today's tactical challenge yeah. and not thinking about the problems or the opportunities of the future, you're going to find yourself solving yourself out of business. Right. And so I think you're 100% right. Firefighting is necessary, but as you're assuming larger leadership roles, there are only a handful of areas that you can spend your time. And one or two of those can be on a really um, high impact tactical challenge. Most of your time needs to be, look, we have a formula that we use, I call it SCCT or SECT. It's strategy, execution, culture, and talent. That's where I should be spending most of my time. What's the strategy of the firm? 
How are we going to execute that strategy? Um, what is the culture of our firm? What type of culture do we want to perpetuate? And talent, my attracting, developing, and retaining the best talent. That's where I try to spend the vast majority of my time. If something goes off the rails, there's time, time from time to time I've got to go solve for it. But more often than not, I just have the people on my team who I trust and who are delivering me the information I need to making sure that it's getting back on the rails. Yeah, and I think the key word being trust. And anytime you're in a leadership role, um, I always like the you know the saying that you know to to be a leader, it's you know obviously people have to follow you, right? And and sometimes that's in a position that you're in a leadership position. Sometimes it's just because you know you're leading the way and people are following you, and, and it's not necessarily a title. But talk to me about kind of your personal philosophy on leadership. How do you approach it? How do you how do you manage that? How do you grow people on your team? Yeah, look, this is one of the biggest challenges, and I think not every firm and not every leader is great at it. Um, and certainly, it's it's an ongoing um, passion of mine to get better and better at it. Look, I, I try to operate my talent and myself under what I call a general manager framework. And there's really four things that I'm challenging myself and judging myself on, but I also look at my team for as well. Um, the first is strategic agility. Um, when you're leading teams and you're leading a lot of people, you've got to be able to not just see what's right in front of you, but see around the corner and see what challenges or what opportunities are gonna present themselves and how do you think about going after what's next. So strategic agility is incredibly important in a world that's changing. The, the old days of five and 10 year plans have gone away. We tend to think more in the two and three year area. So you've got to be able to continuously pivot what you do. The second is operational excellence. My people need to be great at executing. As I talked about before, strategy is interesting. Uh, ideas are interesting, but execution is everything. So how are they creating the framework and the structure to bring those ideas, that strategy to life? Um, the third one is decision-making. Look, you're posed all day long with challenging um, decisions that you have to make, and you will not get them all right. But you've got to have a good data-based, fact-based, experience-based, and then client-centric view of what's around you and make decisions. And the reality is, is you're going to be wrong sometimes, um, but that's okay. Uh, in, in the spirit of the old Pixar saying, fail fast and fix it together, figure out how which way you wanna go, make that move and determine whether that's the one you wanna keep push, pushing on. And then finally, it's on talent. How do I attract it? How do I develop it? How do I retain it? So I'm judging myself on those four things every single day as a leader, and I'm judging my team every day on those four things. And then that last piece underneath that general manager framework is a set of intangibles like you talked about. How do you make sure you're you know, creating and, and developing inspirational leaders? How do you make sure you've got a servant leader mentality? How do you make sure you're showing up with humility and curiosity? And those last two are probably what I think are the most important mm -hmm. intangibles. Are you humble? Do you show up every day not thinking you have all the answers, whether you've been in the business for two years or 20, um, but you actually are open to new ideas. You're open that your ideas might not be the best and there might be other ones around that you wanna go attract. And then the last one is curiosity. Are you asking questions? Are you trying to learn more? Are you pulling on threads when you see a piece of data or get a certain piece of feedback from a client um, or a colleague that you're continuously trying to inform a better outcome and, and, and be open to learning a new way of doing things? Yeah, I like that a lot. And then, you know, talk to me a little bit about this servant, um, you know, model. 
um, you know, it's kind of like the, the pyramid, right? Or the triangle and you view it kind of upside down and the leader's roles really kind of support the team versus the other way around. Um, how do you, how do you kind of visualize that? You know, I think you're, you're only as good as your team when you're trying to create scale, right? And so, and, and you have to be, the more you support your team, the more that you're going to be successful. And that's an awesome outcome. What it basically means is, is the best way to get the business moving forward is to make sure that your people are prepared to be the future leaders and they can go solve those problems for you and so or with you. And so you have to understand and we, one of the things that we really focus on is really thoughtful and strict development plans. In fact, I was working on my own development plan this morning um, with my team on the areas where I'm focused on being better and then not just, hey, here's the areas thematically that I want to be better at, but here are the practical applications where we can truly prove out whether I'm actually moving forward and, and the bodies of work that I'm undergoing, and then the measurements to see if it's got, if I've gotten better at those things. Um, I, I think one of the best things that I've ever done, and it's a lesson I learned from Sally Larson, our head of human capital, um, she said, if your team comes to you with an idea that is in your mind, at least 70% as good as the idea or the way that you would have approached it, go with it. Don't worry about that you might have something that you think is a little bit better, let them go. If it's 70% as good, um, two things are gonna happen. One is there's a chance it's actually significantly better than that. In fact, even better than your idea. But more importantly, it gives them the empowerment and the enablement to go make decisions on their own, to go trust their instincts and learn from both the out positive outcomes and the more challenging outcomes. And so I try to show up with that in that servant leader mindset all the time is don't be the idea, idea guy, be their gal, be the person who shows up, listens to their team, gives them some ideas, gives them some kind of guardrails to work within and then let them go shine. And if it doesn't turn out great, that's okay. Like, let's come back, let's learn from what we did there and let's think about how we might pivot on it and do it a little bit differently next time. And and more often than not, you get surprised and that 70% idea is more like 110% of what your idea was and you've actually improved your employees' satisfaction. They now have agency. They now feel like they have control. They feel capable of making decisions without you and the organization has scale and leverage that it wouldn't have if it's just you making the decisions. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. But I think you're right. It takes a lot of humility to continue to grow. And I think that's an important role that a leader, you know, basically has to set the example of, hey, I'm not, I'm, I don't have all the answers and I'm not perfect. And here's what I'm working on. I like that you shared, uh, you know, your growth model with, with your team and then, you know, really help them kind of develop theirs. What types of things do you feel like biggest areas of growth for you? You know, this is the hardest one is probably around talent. Um, you know, like I've spent a lot of time over the last several years. My organization has grown bigger. And so scale is something I'm always thinking about is how do I deliver not just a good outcome, but deliver that outcome to thousands and thousands of clients in a repeatable, sustainable way. And that shows up through really good frameworks, the right technology, um, the right formations on the field. But like, I think one of the hardest things is around talent um, because while you want to develop all of your people and you want everyone to take that entire ride with you, the reality is that's just not gonna happen every single time. And, and it's gonna happen sometimes because you have the wrong talent, 
And sometimes you just don't have the right talent for the thing that you want to do next. And mm -hmm. so you've got to be able to make moves on talent. Um, and you got to do it in a thoughtful, respectful way. But there are going to be times where you are going to have to um, upgrade the talent to the challenge that's next for you. And that never feels good and it never should feel good. Um, but you've got to make those hard decisions on talent. And you you look at any book by any CEO of a Fortune 100 company, and I've had the great opportunity of spending a lot of time with dozens of them and hearing them either face-to-face -face or in a large group setting. And every single one of them says the biggest regret is they didn't move on talent fast enough. And I take that to heart. Um, because as humans, that's just natural that we don't want to have to do that. But I think the more we're able to do it, the better served we, are, the better able we are to move the organization forward and, and make sure you have the right people on the bus for the, the challenge and the opportunities that you have in front of you next. Right, right. Yeah. How I mean, do you do it? Look, I know you're, I know you're a huge guy on talent um, and you're growing your firm as an incredible pace and um, yeah. and you've got another 20 or 30 years to continue to do it. And the reality is, is your goals will change over that time. The scale of your business will change over the time and yeah. your talent's going to have to change too. How do you think about making sure you have the right talent? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's a lot different than LPL financial. We're, we're a small, um, you know, firm and that, um, you know, we're a boutique, right? And so, you know, we have, uh, you know, typically about a dozen employees that, um, you know, make up our entire team. And so it is interesting. And over time that, that team has evolved and, you know, you really only have room for what I would call A plus players, right? It's people like you said that um, think strategically, they help the team, they help the team grow, they can, they can plan and execute. And it's almost like they're an entrepreneur inside the organization. So if someone's in charge of marketing, it's like they're they literally are making all the decisions for the organization around marketing um, and acting like the CEO. And so it makes it makes my job easier in that tactically, strategically, I'm not having to, um, you know, make every decision in the organization. And like you said, you're providing guardrails that are like, hey, is this congruent with our values? Is this going to help our clients? Is this going to help us, you know, kind of win in the marketplace? Is this giving us a competitive advantage? So it's kind of thinking about the organization over the long term or over the next few years, rather than uh, making every single you know decision. I think that's the, the key. But you're right, um, having the right people on the bus, that hasn't always happened. And, and I think you know too many times you don't wanna rock the boat, you kind of give people maybe more chances, hoping that they evolve and change and they become maybe what the organization needs. But I think it's important as a leader, you realize that your responsibilities to the organization, yeah, making sure the company stays relevant for the long term, it's sustainable, and making sure you're delivering excellence for your clients. And sometimes that means you know changing out the people on the bus, and it is. It's always difficult. Yeah, it's it, you know I used to I used to always say to a previous boss, hey, I can get the person to where they need to be, and and she would say to me, but can you get them there as soon as you need them there? Right. And what's it going to mean to get them there that you won't be able to do because of it? And yeah. and and you look, there's times where you are going to say, you know what? This talent is worth the investment. I'm going to go spend that extra time to get them there. Mm -hmm. And there are times you're going to be like, you know what? It might be worth it. I don't have the bandwidth to do it. Or yeah. I don't have the ability to solve these other problems at the same time. And the, but the cool thing is, is more often than not, 
when you have a good company and you have a good approach to how you run business, you're going to attract really cool people. And then you have a really fun challenge, which is how do you choose between the best people to what to bring on with you next? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's it's been interesting because there's there's times where I look out into the marketplace and, you know, I'm kind of underwhelmed. I'm like, man, where where is really the talent? And then occasionally, you know, we have a new position available. We just hired a financial planner uh, to grow our practice. And I was really impressed with the amount of talent out there. And I, I did. I got to choose among the best. And I hired a gentleman that has, you know, a CFP designation as well as a CPA. So it provided some, you know, a tax expert onto our team, made our team nice. better, better for our clients. So that was that was kind of an easy decision. And I'm really excited about that. But those those are the times where it's fun because you're like, man, I get to I get to choose between, you know, like you said, the best. And, and that is a lot, a lot more fun. Well, that's the cool thing, too, about how you built the business now, whereas I'm sure earlier in your career, you needed everyone to be a generalist and could do just about everything. And now you've got such scale and such uh, kind of growth that you can actually start to find specialists who are true experts in their domain, which allows you to really find the best of the best and ultimately provides a much better outcome for your client base too. Right. And I think you bring up a good point. In order to scale, it is about having specialists. Would you agree with that? hundred percent. You, yeah. you got to have that right combination of generalists and specialists. But look, the world's getting more and more complex. Mm -hmm. And you as my client, your needs get greater all the time and your client's needs get greater all the time. And a generalist just can't have the knowledge base or the expertise they need in order to solve for that. So specialization is going to continue to be a bigger and bigger part of, of what we do, of who we hire, of the type of talent we're looking for. And, and mm -hmm. from what you just said, the same is true for you. Yeah. And what would you say as far as, um, you know, looking ahead, kind of for the industry, maybe for you and for LPL, you know, we've been, I look back at one of my first podcasts. It was actually my second podcast. It was last November. And we had a conversation about AI. And yeah. we kind of talked about it in the framework of like what it would do to schools and education. And then fast forward. Here we are, not even a year down the road. And it's completely kind of taken over every single software tools implementing AI. Every company is looking at it. It's on the probably on the top strategic list of every single organization. Um, and the capabilities. So, you know, anytime yeah. there's a disruptor like that, you know, there's pros and cons. What do you kind of see uh, the industry doing with this? What is LPL doing? What do you see as kind of yeah. positive and, and downturn, you know, downsides? Yeah, it's funny, Mike, you're right. Like it happened so fast, right? It was only a couple of months ago where people were like, you know, the robots are basically not going to have an impact. And then all of a sudden chat GPT and kind of generative AI really grabs the marketplace and grabs it at a, at a pace and a speed we've never seen before. Um, look, we embrace change. I always say there's four things you can do with change. Um, you can hide from it or ignore it, um, which leads to obsolescence and death. You can accept it, which leads to survival, um, at least for a short while. You can embrace it, which absolutely allows you to thrive. Or the best one of all is you can actually create it. Um, and that leads to innovation and uh, outcomes that are hard to match. And so we're, we, we tend to live in those last two domains. We embrace 
and we see if we can actually create change. And we think generative AI is an incredible place for us to be. In fact, we're setting up AI labs and we, we really believe this is a disruptor, but not to our business. And actually, we don't think it's a disruptor to the uh, investment advisor or financial advisor uh, population unless they don't leverage it. Um, we think that the future of financial planning will be written by financial advisors, um, but it'll be written by those that leverage AI to maximize their breadth and depth and scale in ways that allow them to continue to focus on the things that kind of EQ side of things, the engagement, the understanding, the caring of people mm -hmm. and further scale and further enhance their capabilities and not spend a lot of their time on things that technologies like this, disruption like this are going to commoditize. And I think that's the key thing is what will technology take or make something that was once valuable, now a commodity? And are you still practicing the commodity business? Are you continuing to find new ways to drive value into the ecosystem and leverage the technologies and capabilities that provide those things at scale? Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. In fact, um, I guess I was just featured in the white paper for LPL talking about different growth strategies. And you know, one of the things we did with our organization is completely realizing that the future of you know, advice for the you know, for clients, the value isn't in what is my account balance and what's the trend over the time or the performance. The value is, you know, do you have empathy when, when life, you know, throws you a curveball? Like you lose a loved one, you don't want to hear from AI that, you know, we really sympathize with your situation, right? Um, you yeah. know, you want to have that trusted relationship where they actually have em empathy and you already have the trust that they're looking out for your best interest. So that, you know, when you're in those hard situations, it's hard to move forward. It's difficult to know what to do. And if you already already have that relationship with an advisor, they can say, look, you know, for our clients that have already been in this situation, here's where you need to go moving forward. Here's step one. Here's step yeah. two. In fact, here's a checklist. And let's just start at the top and let's do the most important things. And we can do that in your own time, right? So, you know, kind of getting our clients unstuck during those, those situations is really important. And I got to tell you, the, the one thing that I always underestimated is the peace of mind that you give clients knowing that, hey, if something happens, especially like something happens to me, I want to make sure somebody's there helping my spouse through this during a difficult time and getting solid you know, advice that's congruent with our beliefs and values and the way that we've been managing our money. Um, and so it, it is, it's an important role. And I don't, I don't see AI ever taking over that that capability. You know, it's, it's financial advisor as pilot, AI as part of your crew is the way we think about it, um, along with a lot of other technologies and capabilities. Mm -hmm. But I think you, you hit it right, Mike, is like, and you and I have talked about this, the way that you all show up with your client's best interest at heart, with knowing them very well, with having gone through experience after experience, many times something very similar or identical to what they're going through, you're, you're not, you know, we talk about on the upside, which is you guys are dream makers, but you guys are life changers as well in those most difficult times in life. And, and we as humans need to know that someone cares and connects with us as well as has deep subject matter expertise and experience. And the computers can help us with that side of it. But this true knowing and caring is what makes humans human. Yeah. And so uh, last question for you here, but as you kind of reflect back on your life, I always say, you know, the biggest regret is, is not the things you did do, it's the things you didn't do. 
Um, kind of looking back so far and, and maybe even looking forward, as you look back on your life, what do you think you find is the most fulfilling um, and maybe the things that like you wish you would have done or you look forward to doing in the future? You know, this is, uh, I just turned 50 this year. Um, I think the thing that I am most connected to is that you can be a lot of places all at once, um, in your business life in your, in your friend's life and your family life, and you can scatter your thoughts and you can scatter your attention and you cannot be present because you have so many other things in your mind. And I probably regret that the most is not being fully present with the things that I'm doing at that time. And I work hard every day that when I'm at work, I'm working. When I'm with friends, I'm with friends. When I'm exercising, I'm exercising. And, and most importantly for me, when I'm with my family, when I'm with my wife, when I'm with my daughter, when I'm hanging out with my dogs or my mom, or my sisters and brothers, I'm with them. Um, and so that would be the thing that I tell you I work hard on every single day is being fully present with the situation and with the people who I'm engaged with and, and, and connecting with at that moment in time. And I didn't always do that. No, I love that. And I think, um, you know, realizing that that's a gift and, and that's actually something, you know, I asked my team and I say like, Hey, what do I need to work on? Right. And that was some of the feedback that they gave me like, Hey Mike, sometimes when we're all talking, you know, we can tell like your wheels are turning and you're thinking, you know, about like maybe the next thing. And, and, you know, and I'm always planning and looking forward and, Sometimes you just have to stop and go, how do I give 100% of my attention? How do I become a better listener? And, you know, that's, it's kind of a punch in the stomach when you have to realize that, you know, totally. you're not perfect. But, and you have a lot of room to grow, right? But that, that is something that definitely I'm working on as well, just being in the moment. And uh, I kind of enjoy, you know, these podcasts for that reason, right? It helps me practice this. It's like I'm listening to what you said. I'm zeroing in. I'm in the moment. Um, and, I, and then I learn so much and I get to apply that. So. Matt, lots of great information and um, things that we can all apply to grow, grow in the organizations and, you know, continue to help clients. Hey, Mike, thanks for letting me join today. And, and I appreciate all you do for your clients. And it's a pleasure to get to be here with you today. Yeah, we appreciate the support. So, well, thank you uh, so much for tuning in to this episode of the Values Exchange podcast. Uh, coming up, if you've ever thought about being a private pilot, uh, you know, there's an airplane um, that has a parachute for the entire aircraft. It's Cirrus Aircraft. They've, you know, passed up other uh, manufacturers as the most successful uh, personal aviation uh, company. And we're going to interview the CEO uh, coming up next episode from Cirrus Aircraft. So stay tuned.